Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hey, I'm glad that you are listening to our podcast. It is a nice podcast. I hope you enjoy your time listening to it. This one is the message from this last Sunday where I talked through Romans chapter 6, and I, uh, you know my preaching style by now, pretty direct. I don't do anything fancy. I don't tell amusing stories or jokes. Just talk about the meaning of the text, and uh, I don't know. I feel like I do the same thing pretty much every week, but a, a number of people followed up with me after this one saying that it was, it was just really good, and of course that's all God, but um, I obviously really enjoy preaching through this stuff. The, uh, the main theme it's, it's dealing with is just uh, how appropriate it is for people who are in Christ to continue sinning, and the, the spoiler alert, the answer is it's not appropriate at all. So um, anyway, we'll continue building on uh, all the ground we've covered, but this this is an important chapter, as I say in the uh, in the message. I, I I think this is probably the most important chapter of Romans. So um, anyway, I hope you get a lot out of it, and even if you don't, God be glorified. All right, have fun. So the letter to the Romans was written by Paul, remember, and he's writing to a community he did not plant. He's aware of them. He's aware that there are Jews and Gentiles all coming together under the name of Christ Jesus. And they've done some of, it, some of that well, and some of it they haven't done well. First chapter, he hits on the Gentiles. He says, the culture you came out of is a culture of death. There are a number of things about your culture, sexually, morally, that are wrong that you need to abandon and turn your back on hits the Gentiles. But after that, he turns to the Jews and he says, you guys are hypocrites because you judge them for it and then you do the same thing. And then for several chapters, he, he, he corrects the Jews who think that they are better than the Gentiles because they have Abraham as their ancestor or they have circumcision as an act of, of their salvation. And he says, if you don't live in righteousness, if you don't repent of your sin, if you don't walk in the path, footsteps of Jesus, then your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And you're not a child of Abraham because the only children of Abraham are people who live by faith, not works. All of this language I'm saying should sound familiar to you. I've, I've, I've worked hard to weave all this together for the five chapters before now. Last week, we dealt with five, uh, chapter 5, which ends with this uh, talk about the law. And I've been using this metaphor that at, at first people rolled their eyes, but I'm going to stick with it because I think it works well for this point. When you think of our condemnation, our damnation, our death as cancer, most of us are familiar enough with cancer. Cancer is a growth of cells in our bodies that does not stop. It takes over and eventually kills us. That's what sin does. It enters into us spiritually, or we're born with it. We're born with cancer, and it spreads, and it ruins everything and kills us. So what do we do? Uh, it, does it matter if you've been diagnosed or not to, to die from cancer? No. But what the law does is it diagnoses the cancer. We're all born in sin. We're all on the assembly line to hell. We're all alienated from God and unworthy of his kingdom. Gentiles are, and they don't know why. They don't have the law. The Jews received the law. And they were able to see why. They were able to get that spiritual diagnosis of here's what's wrong with you, but they couldn't change it. So they just got to know the details of how and why it is that they were condemned. 
Both Jews and Gentiles are equally born in sin. Both Jews and Gentiles are equally in need of Jesus. That's, that's what he weaved thus far. At the end of chapter 5, he talked about how where law was given, sin increased. And the way I make sense of that is, when the law was given, people were able to see their sin for what it was, and yet they were still slaves to sin, and they continued to persist in sin, even though they knew it was sin. You ever do something bad even though you knew it was bad? Nobody's going to raise your hand? You sinners, raise your hands. That is wickedness. That is, that is, that is evil. That's evil. And I, I raise my hand because I've done it. I still do things that I know I should not do. God help me. It is unacceptable. But what it said at the end here is where law was given, sin increased. But where sin increased, grace increased even more. So the, the phrase there was, the law was brought so that the trespass might increase. That's what it's taught. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And what is grace? Sarah, Susanna, take us what, tell us what grace is. The unmerited free gift of God. Unmerited means you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Unmerited free means you can't pay a price for it. Grace is the unmerited free gift of God. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So grace in this case is, is God's forgiveness of sin. God's covering over our sin. By the blood of the cross, that's what God does. The, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than our sin. Can anybody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So just so we're clear, before we do chapter 6, who here is, is desiring eternal life with Christ our Lord? If you're not desiring that, you have made a strange decision about where you want to be on Sunday morning. This place is for the people who want have a, to have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So chapter 6, you know, what he anticipates here is... A lot of people saying, well, hey, if sin increases God's grace, I should keep sinning so God's grace can be even bigger. So does that make sense? I mean, it does make a certain sort of sense, you know, like if uh, uh, I should have thought of a good metaphor for this. But um, it's like if, if, if I was a selfish husband, I'm never selfish, am I, Sarah Beth? If I was a selfish husband and my selfishness on a daily basis causes my wife to grow in grace because she has to be more Christ-like and forbear with me, then wouldn't I be a good husband just to be even more selfish so she can grow in Christian virtue? Doesn't that sound good, Sarah Beth? Who wants to be married to that jerk, right? And that's how a lot of us are with Jesus. We go, his grace is so powerful, it can cover up my sins, so I'm just going to persist in sin, and, and Christ is going to look so good even as I look so bad. And we kind of scoff at that, but that's how most people are who say they love Jesus. That's us. So that's what he's going to be hitting on right here. He says, we're finally getting into chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. In the King James it says, God forbid. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you right now, I think this is the most important chapter in Romans. Because it talks about baptism in a way that no other part of the Bible does and nobody talks about it. In our tradition, usually when we think about baptism, we think about, oh, sprinkling little babies up front. 
And that's nothing, you've seen me sprinkle my babies. Uh, but what he's talking about here is killing somebody, death. He's speaking metaphorically, yes, but he's speaking in a very real spiritual sense. Those who are baptized die. There has been a death take place. When you watch a baptism take place, you are watching someone die. That is what it is saying here. It is not kidding. It's not speaking metaphorically. It's speaking literally, spiritually, someone is dying when you're baptized. Don't argue with me yet. Verse 4. We, he's talking about those of us who were baptized, were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So the impression you're supposed to be getting, we're supposed to be getting is what baptism does is it seals us to Jesus. Not just the end point of Jesus, but the whole path of Jesus' life. Birth, life, death, grave, resurrection. If you want to be raised with Christ, you have to walk the path with Christ. Jesus himself said, he who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Could he be any more clear? We live in an era where it's, oh, that's just metaphors. He's saying we should be willing to do hard things sometimes. No, he's saying you need to die. You need to agonize. You need to go through all the suffering he went through. I'm going to calm down. I've already escalated too much. Verse 5. For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Does that make sense with what I've just said? Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So not just death, not just a, a quiet, peaceful death, agony on a cross. Our old self was crucified with Jesus. That's why we have a cross in the center of the sanctuary. The cross reminds us Christ was crucified and so was our old self, right? That old guy, that old jerk is dead. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, that's the body I was born with, the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When someone dies, are you married to them? No. A marriage covenant, all covenants, when a person dies, has been disrupted. They are no longer bound. That's why when uh, your spouse dies, it's not a sin to get remarried. Okay? You're not cheating on your first spouse. That covenant is over. You can enter a new covenant with somebody. That's how your relationship with sin is. Most people are born, all people are born, married to sin. And in order to end that marriage, or really the, the language here is more of a master-slave covenant relationship, to end that, that mastery, that master relationship sin has over you, you have to die. And then sin's claim over you ends. So this is a, a legal, juridical language, that you are legally under the claim of Satan and sin until you die. And most people, when they die in sin, all people, when they die in sin, it's too late then to repent. But if through Christ you're allowed to die and be... You remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night? You remember that? He was a Jewish elder, and he was just admiring Jesus for his clarity, and Jesus immediately goes into salvation. He says, truly you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you be 
born again. You ever heard of born again Christians? They turned it into a political category, but a lot of people who say they're a born again Christian, they don't even know what that means. Born again means your old self died on the cross with Jesus because you received the waters of baptism. Now let's be clear, does baptism save us? What is it that saves us? He's already talked about it in Romans. What saves us? Faith, right? Faith in Jesus Christ specifically, not just faith in something. Faith that unexplainable hope. No, that's, that's worldly talk. Here in the Bible, faith in Christ Jesus, that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that he said what he said, did what he did, meant what he said, that he will come again at the end of history. All these things are tied together. When you have that faith, God gives you that faith. That faith is what saves you. But when you have that faith, do you get baptized? What if I have that faith, but I don't want to get baptized? What then? You don't have that faith. Well, what if somebody says they have that faith, but they don't want to get baptized? They don't have that faith. They, don't have, a, they have some other faith that's not in the Bible. If you have a, the faith of the Bible, the faith passed down through the ages to the disciples, to the apostles, to, to all the saints of all the ages, when you have faith, you get baptized, period. And when you get baptized, that is a sign act that your old self dies and there is a new birth of a new creature in you. So let's talk about that more, because I've used some language that, that we haven't encountered yet. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Not will live with him, that we also currently live with him. If we have died to our old self, we're a new creation, we are living with him now. That eternal life that we want has already begun. Verse 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Anybody here want to live and never die? I'm giving you chances to raise your hand in a faithful way. That's not hard work. You can raise your hand. If you want to live and never die, if you want to be with Christ Jesus for all eternity, he's talking about the path right now. If that's what you want, do this. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't do that. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. You know anybody who just says, oh, I'll just do a little sin here. It'll be, be just a little bit, and I'll keep it contained. It won't spread over to the rest of my life. Surely nobody here does that. Nobody says, oh, I'll just do this little sin here. He's saying give no part of yourself to sin, not a square inch. Don't give any ground whatsoever to sin. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Every single part. Talk about your body as real estate. It's covered with plots. Every single plot belongs to God. The way we live is often, oh, I'll give some plots to my family, I'll give some plots to my, my church, I'll give some plots to my work, I'll give some plots to my, my fun, my hobbies. Nope. Every single plot in your spiritual body belongs to one guy, Jesus Christ, because you've been bought at a price. With the blood of Jesus Christ, he purchased you. You were not your own. You don't belong to yourself, and you sure don't belong to Satan. If you belong to Jesus, then you give every square inch of yourself to Jesus. He deserves more than that, doesn't he? Verse 14, 
For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So what's happened here, I'm going to use that metaphor of cancer again. We had that diagnosis through the law of that tumor growing in us. We had the blood tests, we had the images. What happened was we received that spiritual radiation treatment. And the radiation of Christ Jesus has removed the cancer and we have been given a new life. It's changed us to our DNA. That's how much the change is. We have not just been saved our old self. The old self died, but we've been given a new body. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? This is kind of the same question we started with. I'm not under the law anymore. I've been freed from the law. So I can sin all I want, right? No. No. By no means. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So we don't see ourselves as slaves. We see ourselves, I'm an American, I'm free, right? But every single person is a slave. As Bob Dylan said, I've quoted him before, everybody's got to serve somebody. There is no way you can live as free from all influences. You just get to live as a slave to sin or a slave to God. That's it. Now, you are born a slave to sin. And even after you are freed from sin's power, you can still choose sin. God lets it happen all the time. You see it happen all the time. There's scripture about it. It compares it to a, a, a pig that gets washed and repairs right, uh, goes right to the mud. Or a dog that vomits and then licks its vomit back up. That's like people who are saved from their sin and then still choose to sin. So here it's saying that we are slaves and we get to decide who we're going to be a slave to. We've been freed from that obligatory service to sin. We can choose to be a slave to sin or we can choose to be a slave to God. Who do you think is a better master, a sin or God? God? Yeah, you're in a church. You know the right answer. And yet a lot of people leave the church building and they go out into the world and they say, oh, but this sin would feel so good. And sin's been a pretty good friend to me. I've had some good times with sin. I, I had entire years of my life devoted to sin entirely. And we think we're better because we devote some time to God and then some time to sin. What the Bible says, if you're devoting any time to sin, you are a goner. Because Christ deserves all of you. Is Christ really supposed to share you with idols? Is he really supposed to share you with the darkness? Oh, I was born in sin. I'm just going to die in sin. You know, I, I can't really be righteous. Well, then why is it talking so much about righteousness? If it's something that we can't attain, is the Bible just wanting to torture us? That's the relationship with God. He holds us up to a standard we just can't meet. That's the kind of God we got. Or does God give us the power to meet that standard? Spoiler alert. What gives us the power to walk in righteousness? The Holy Spirit. Yes, Christ sends us his Holy Spirit. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, then yeah, we'd be goners. There'd be nothing we could do. But the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is enough to work that transformation in us. Are you a slave to sin or are you a slave to Jesus? Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from the heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So he's not guilt-tripping them. He's not saying, you guys are not practicing what... He's saying, you guys did it. You gave up on sin. You gave up on yourselves. The Holy Spirit has made a home in you. You received the good news. You're walking in it now. He's given him an attaboy. Verse 18. 
You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's the attaboy. That's where you are spiritually. You're done with sin. The old self died. You were baptized. You received faith. You're now walking in newness of life. Very good. Verse 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. So just like I did that metaphor of cancer, he's using the slave language to convey a, a spiritual reality. Just as you, you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, yes, that's everybody who's ever born, they offer themselves as slaves to sin, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. So sin leads to what? Death. Righteousness leads to holiness, which of course leads to eternal life. That's, there's two paths here. Jesus talks about enter the narrow gate. The, the gate is narrow and the way is difficult that leads to salvation. There are few who find it, but the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and many find it, right? There's all throughout the Bible. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks in the light of the Lord. You know, there, there's wicked ways and there's the right way. We Christians are the ones who say we want to walk in the right way. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So yeah, were you free in sin? You were free from righteousness. Sure. Were you free from sin? No. You were a slave to sin. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? When you think about the times that you've just given yourself over to sin, what came of that? Really good things? Oh, I'm so glad I sinned. Oh, I'm just so glad. It, you know, there's some people who do this. They say, oh, I'm so, it brought me closer to God. Does that mean my sin was good? No. Those things result in death, it says. The wages of sin is death. We're going to hear that quote here in a second. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is, say it out loud, eternal life. You said you want it. You said you want it. So quit sinning. Stop. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is, say it, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now, as I said at the beginning of this, I think Romans 6 is really the most important chapter in this book because we, every worldly culture ever, has tried to make sin acceptable. The prince of this world, the ruler of the power of the air, is Satan. For a time he has been given dominion over earth, and he has exercised that dominion over all of children born, all humans ever born, are born in sin. This is the doctrine of original sin. I preached pretty hard on it last week and the week before. It doesn't go away as you go through the Bible. It's, something, it's, the, it's the lens through which you have to read the Bible. If we're not born in sin, do we really need Jesus? If you're not born in sin, do you need Jesus, really? If, you're not if you are not born in sin, you do not need Jesus. Jesus is for those who are slaves, who are powerless, who are helpless against the forces of darkness. That's what we need a Savior for. If we don't need, if we can do it ourselves, if through sheer willpower and knowledge and reason we can become righteous, then we do not need Jesus. We do not need Jesus. He is irrelevant. He is useless. We don't need him. So let's just get real clear. Do, does everybody need Jesus? Yes or no? No one. Jesus said no one can come to the Father except through me. 
He said it clear as day. Nobody can come to the Father. No one can be saved. No one will be welcomed to the kingdom without Jesus. And the reason that is, is not because Jesus was a great moral teacher. It's not because he was a really nice guy and he loved the little children. It's not because he lived at the right time and place. It's because he shed his blood on the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world atoned for your sins. The price he paid on the cross was more than enough to cover up your and my nastiness. And it's only because of that that you and I can ever receive the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and walk in newness of life. God had to die to save you and me. And without that, none of us could be saved. Doesn't matter how good our intentions are. Doesn't matter how much we want it, it cannot happen. Once we have that clarity, then we have to get real clear, how does my God who has saved me called to live? How has he called me to live? Has he given permission for me to continue in sin? The answer is a resounding no. I do not have that permission. Well, what if, what if some older guy I know, I respect a lot, says, well, you know, you got to sow your wild oats, man. Boys will be boys. Oh, we're just born in sin. We're just creatures. This is how God created us. You, you got to live how God created you. Oh, you shouldn't hate yourself for how God created you. You ever heard variations of what I'm talking about here? These are all lies from the evil one. Satan loves when people think that because then they're comfortable in their sin, right? But what's the wages of sin again? And do you want to die? Do you want to be separate from God for all eternity? Do you want to suffer without his presence in your life? Then let's stop sinning. Now, the last thing, I, a lot of people read this and they go, well, I, I was baptized and I've still persisted in sin. I guess I'm a goner. I think you have to have a more nuanced view than that. And I'm not going to say some people... I'm not going to say nobody is ever instantly sanctified. Some people, I'm sure, have that faith and are justified, and they are done with sin. That wasn't me. That's not the majority of people I've known. The majority of people, they take a while to kill that old self, that old man. It takes a while for that new man to come. I'll tell you, that's been my personal history. There are ways in which I used to be slave to a number of sins. I have been freed from most of them. There are some that still hang on, and I pray for God to take that. And a lot of that hanging on is because I'm not... I'm not doing what I ought to do. But I'll tell you, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit has been in my life. I am not the man I used to be. I would actually categorize myself as someone carrying the holiness of Christ Jesus. His name has been put upon me. I'm walking in the light more and more. And I'll tell you, it's a blessing. And as I'm preaching at you guys, I know a lot of you. I've walked with you in faith, a number of you, for more than seven years now. And I've seen you have seasons where you've walked in light. I've seen some of you just put aside sin at different times and grow, and some of you never picked it back up. Some of you have, but most of you, as I'm preaching to you, you know the power of God when you walk in righteousness. You've seen the transformation that comes. You have felt the peace that Christ puts in your heart. And what's happened is Satan has just made his case, and you haven't had the, 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 the forethought, the wherewithal to resist, but it's not over for you. It's not over for you. And I know there's some scriptures that make you want to give up, I'm going to give a message of hope, and the message of hope is whether you've screwed up yesterday, whether you've already screwed up today, there's nothing saying you have to screw up tomorrow. There's nothing saying you have to die in your sin. So as always, I'm going to, re I'm going to return to my message that I try and preach every Sunday. Repent. That sin is going to drag you to hell. And I know it feels good, and I know sometimes it looks good. Renounce that. Turn from that. Walk with your church in newness of life. Put to death the old self. Let Christ take you to where you need to be. Those green pastures.
those still waters. Amen.